You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, where I just picked up a half dozen ducklings from Dice Seed and Feed. And that's why I'm kind of dressed a little bit cash, because I was out there trying to get the pen ready for them and uh, get them settled, but didn't quite get it done before the show. But that means I didn't do a lot of show prep. So I kind of got to apologize a little bit here. Uh, it, you know, it may be uh, a wing and a prayer on the Bo's Nose show today as far as that things go. <laughs> yeah. No pun intended there about the ducklings. <laughs> but uh, we're, we are going to try and talk about what you want to talk about. In fact, that's probably going to help me out a lot today if you give me a call at 646-721-9887 and just press 1. That lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887 and just press 1. And uh, that way, Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get in on the conversation because some people call in just to listen. So when you call in and press one, that puts a little question mark up there by your number. So we know you want to get in and talk on the show. Robin can pick up, find, you know, put your name up on the screen for me and prompt me to pick up the call. Um, and that's, you know, that's what that pressing one's all about. So, yeah, I did pick up some ducklings today. They're half a dozen Swedish blacks. And I just posted a little video, you know, a little six-second clip of them uh, to the uh, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page. Again, that's another way you can uh, link up with the Bose Nose Show. We do uh, Facebook Live on that site. That's uh, KRBN. Of course, that stands for K-Robin, if you haven't figured that out. Uh, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio uh, on Facebook. So that's uh, – you could also – you know, if you ever want to communicate with me between shows, you can always uh, do talk at krbnradio.net is our email address. And, of course, you can message me through the uh, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page. And, of course, you can also find me uh, just by doing Jay Bozovich into your Facebook, and you can find me on Facebook really easily. Message me there. Um or you can just call it Lane County uh, is the other place you can get a hold of me. But, yeah, there's a bunch of things going on. Um, yesterday was a marathon board meeting. We started at 9 in the morning, went through to lunchtime, picked up in the afternoon for a while, uh, adjourned the afternoon meeting, went into executive session for a while, uh, and then uh, 
came back. Actually, we had sex session in the morning, came back in the afternoon, adjourned that, came back in the evening for public comment and a public hearing on uh, the establishing a, a curfew for the new uh, county courthouse block uh, so that you know, we would be as as we take the fence down and reopen that for a parking lot, uh, we'd be able to kind of keep people from um, camping in people's least parking spaces. Because the uh, when we we set up the park temporary parking lot there, we're going to uh, contract with a company that will lease those spaces to folks that want to park downtown. And there's kind of a property right thing there. So they, they expect when they pull up in the morning not to have a tent in their camp in their parking space. So um, we we needed to establish that um, curfew. And we did that last night. We uh, pulled the uh, emergency clause off of it. It was put on because they thought that the parking lot was going to be ready sooner. But there was no need because the parking lot won't be ready before the 30 days are up that um, an ordinance normally takes uh, effect. So we didn't have to speed up that process because uh, we were worried about people camping in parking spaces. So, um, yeah, that was kind of last night's meeting. Covered a lot of ground. Had some very interesting public comment last night. Uh, the Raging Grannies put on a show for us for three minutes. Uh, if you are interested, you can go to our, our, our webcast on the Lane County uh, website and find last night's meeting and uh they came uh about 27 minutes into the meeting was the raging grannies if you want to kind of advance the time to that point <laughs> of the lane county commissioners april 2nd 2019 evening meeting uh you'll get to see the raging grannies do blah 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 uh, it was uh, a, a well choreographed uh, set of public comment, including song and dance. So, uh, and particularly about climate change, which we may get into later in the Bose No Show. But before we get there, and speaking of the courthouse, I just wanted to go over, um, you know, a few things about the courthouse because as I'm talking to people, I'm realizing a lot of people one aren't aware of just how bad our existing courthouse is and the problems we have with it. And then, you know, the benefits actually of replacing the courthouse and what, what we get, you know, as a, as a county from having a new courthouse facility. And the other thing is people also get confused about, well, didn't they build a new courthouse? You know, that, that shiny, you know, Airstream looking thing that we see from the Ferry Street, you know, viaduct there. Um, as we're trying to get on the Ferry Street Bridge. Um, no, that's the federal courthouse. Um, they built a new federal courthouse, and that's where federal court cases are heard. What we're talking about is the um, Lane County Circuit Court, uh, which is court you would go to as, as on any matters that aren't federal uh, or municipal. I mean, there is some, you know, there is a, a Eugene Municipal Court which only deals with things like parking tickets, speeding tickets, and misdemeanors issued by the um, Eugene police. Uh, this is where you would go to, you know, if you have a problem with your landlord or you're trying to evict a tenant, this is where you would go to if you're getting a divorce. 
this is where you go to uh, to um, you know try and get a um, restraining order on somebody that's stalking you. This is where you go to uh, if you're on trial for any sort of felony in Lane County and and several misdemeanors because all felonies go through circuit court. Even if you're arrested by the Eugene Police Department or the state police, if it if it was a felony crime that was committed in Lane County, you are tried in the Lane County Circuit Court. So it's not the municipal court of the city of Eugene. It's not um, the federal court in the nice, you know, uh, airstream looking weird building. Uh, this is the Lane County Circuit Court and it processes about 33,000 cases a year and about 600 people a day, separate individuals in Lane County citizens access that court. That, and that's not counting the attorneys that go in and out of there regularly. That's 600 individuals are there for various reasons, uh, Lane County citizens every day. Um, and that facility, that existing courthouse, and the, the courthouse is that sort of um, weird uh, building. It has a vertical metal, metal on the outside of the building that's about four stories tall at the corner of 7th and Oak. So uh, as you're kind of think about where the, the Hilton is, it's diagonally across from the Hilton is that kind of boxy sort of building with the vertical slats of metal around the outside, outside the windows, you know, where you have to look through the slats to see the windows, the Lane County Courthouse. Now there's a lower two-story building adjacent to that. That is called the Public Service Building, and that's where Lane County's offices are. And that's, you know, where the, the tax assessor's office is, and that's where the County administration is, the developmental disabilities is located there, and a few other departments, our IT department. Um, my office is in that two-story section. That four-story section is the actual court building that was built in 1959. And that is, you know, we're overflowing out of it because we actually have some of the court functions over in the, the county uh, office building we have jury assembly and the uh, the law um, uh, law library is is down there in in the basement of the public service building so we're and the da's office is actually split up the da has the part of the fourth floor of the uh, county um, courthouse building and they actually don't have enough room for their staff and they're leasing spaces elsewhere in Eugene. So you can kind of already see that they, we're, we're already overflowing that courthouse. And as you can imagine, um, that courthouse was originally built with only six courtrooms. And we've managed to remodel it, move some people out of that, you know, move all the county offices out of that building. There used to actually be a cafeteria in that building. It's now no longer in it. And um, they remodeled a bunch of the rooms, and we've managed to pack 13 courtrooms into that courthouse <laughs> over the years. Uh, and there, some of them are, are 
relatively small, you know, that you can't really do a jury trial in. Uh, and um, only a couple of them are large enough for uh, full-blown 12-person jury trials. So it makes scheduling a little tricky because there's certain things that take that a lot of people are involved in. Um, they have arraignments daily uh, at at the courtroom where they parade in the accused and their attorney, you know, they're either their um, appointed public defender or their hired defender, and they go through a you know the docket setting where they they um, set future court dates and all that, and so they'll be the, the the audience is all full of these folks going through, uh, cycling through the arraignment, which happens, you know, you think, you know, Monday morning, particularly after a whole weekend of people being arrested and put in jail, that's a lot of people shuffling through. So you can imagine that, you know, that, that takes up a fair amount of room. Um, we have these specialty courts, which I posted um, a photo on, on the, uh, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page about a week ago of one of the graduations of Veterans Court. And if you look at that photo, um, it has all of the um, various staff from the court, the DA's office, parole and probation, um, public defender's office, um, the nonprofits that do some of the counseling and addiction treatment stuff up there we're standing up there to congratulate the um the guy that was um graduating but those folks are all involved and we and whenever the after that graduation ceremony was done the treatment the veterans treatment court was going to be meeting with the folks that are still involved you know that was two guys that were graduating out of that that had successfully completed all their treatment done everything the court asked him to as far as restitution and counseling and everything else had gotten themselves into stable housing and even employment. And that's why they were graduating. But there were several gentlemen there at the graduation that were going to be sticking around <clears throat> for when they had their monthly session with the judge for Veterans Court because they check in at least once a month where the you know the parole officer that's assigned to that person the da staffer and every the various other people as as needed um get together with the judge and you know see how the person's doing on their program and whether they're they're still eligible to continue with the program whether there needs any changes in their um program uh you know kind of um you know, mid-course adjustments, so to speak, of, of how that, you know, to make sure people are successful if they can, or whether they need to be pulled from the program and processed through the courts to complete whatever, um, you know, conviction issues are and, and sent on to prison. So there are approximately uh, 150 people involved in our treatment courts that are coming in at least once a month that need a courtroom, a large courtroom for that function. So, you know, you can, you know, that's just one of the things that happens in the courthouse. But kind of besides the fact that we've outgrown the courthouse, 
1959 was way before anyone thought about the Americans with Disabilities Act. And I've been in the jury um, uh, deliberation rooms, you know, back in the secure areas, and they're really small and very tight to get around the table that the jury sits at. But there's two bathrooms that, you know, single toilet sink type, you know, uh, basically water closets, as the, as the English would refer to them, off that jury room, you know, that have only separated by door. The doors on those bathrooms are maybe 18 inches wide. I mean, there's no way you're going to get somebody in a wheelchair through that doorway. I mean, maybe if you went and got one of those um, airline wheelchairs, they take down the aisles of the, the airplane. <laughs> you might be able to get them in there, but even then, I'm not sure there's room to get. Once you got to get to get them in there, because the 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 bathroom's so tiny, you know, the sink and the toilet are, you know, be a very convenient bathroom if you're suffering from food poisoning. <laughs> if you know what I mean. So, you know, there's no ADA provisions in the courthouse. And very, you know, there's steps up in the jury boxes so that if you have somebody that is um, not as mobility limited, they may not be able to sit with the rest of the jurors. And that, that kind of separation should not happen. Um, there's all sorts of issues like that around mobility and accessibility to the point where our jury assembly that we had to that got pushed out of the courthouse to get enough courtrooms that ended up in the basement of the building next door in order to move jurors from that basement into the courthouse they have to go up an elevator a door around the outside of the building to go up a handicap ramp because the the two buildings are half story off of each other you can't just walk from one building into the other, except for there's one floor that matches up, but it's the floor that has the sheriff's office on it. And it's and, and the public area is not connected to the rest of the courthouse because you have to go to, through security to actually get in the court the house portion. So all those people go around the outside to, to make that, that half and up the ramp to get that half story difference, go through security which means you got to, you know, if you got 40 or 50 people in a jury pool to, you know, cause they, they bring in big jury pools and try and narrow it down to 12 people plus a couple alternates um, to try and get a fair jury of peers, you know, cause you, you're allowed to eliminate people. If you're the prosecuting attorney or defense attorney, you're allowed to eliminate so many people from the pool. So, that, and they have to agree on everybody. It takes, quite a bit of time to put all those people through security. And then even then, when you come in, you, there's a half story elevator, if you're in a wheelchair, to actually get to the court floor. And if you're, and if, if it's on a different floor, there's another elevator, so you gotta switch elevators. And mind you, that half story elevator breaks down sometimes. That's because of the age of the building, the age of the elevator. So they actually figured out it takes approximately 40 minutes from the time they have the jury pool ready to walk out of jury assembly, 
to when they actually are ready to start doing interviews in the courthouse. That movement takes about 40 minutes of time. In the new courthouse, jury assembly would already be behind security and just be a matter of walking people down a hall, so to speak. So the, the, it'd be more like three minutes. So you think about 50, 60, if some jury pools can be as large as 100 if they think it's a case that's going to have a lot of eliminations. Um, that's a lot of people's time you're wasting. And, and that whole inefficiency and what that does um, moving, you know, even once you have a jury that's been seated and moving them back and forth from the from jury assembly into the secure court area, it just causes a lot of d- delay and inefficiency. So, you know, one of the major things that happens with a new courthouse is, you know, we hired nationally the the National Center for State Courts, which you know that's what this is is a state court to do an analysis of who should be in the new building, you know, and, and what functions should be all together to be the most efficient. And that didn't mean that this, there's no, my office is not going to be in the new courthouse because I don't need to be where the judges and all are. I don't, I don't, you know, my function as a commissioner has nothing to do with the running of the courts. But the sheriff certainly does because he's charged with providing security for the courts and they do all the movement of inmates. So there's real synergy in having the sheriff's office and the courts in the same building. Likewise, it's really important for the prosecutors to be in the same building as well as the public defenders and even having some uh, parole and probation office space there so that when somebody is sentenced to probation instead of uh, prison out of a court case, they have an immediate check-in to the probation system. Or if somebody's in court on a violation of parole, the parole officer can just walk from that office into the courtroom and take custody of that person. So there's there's all sorts of important reasons to, to, to have some of these functions together. As well as you know, getting all our victim services, our um, law library there with with the public defenders, so that you know we can assist people in their uh, legal defense. Putting all that stuff together is going to be much more efficient, and actually save people time that are dealing with the court system. It'll save staff time in providing the services the court system provides, and that just leads to more efficient justice and that's really an important piece of this you know that gets beyond the fact that the existing courthouse was built before people understood the cascadia subduction zone and it doesn't meet today's seismic standards and will fail in the cascadia subduction zone earthquake yeah we need a building that's going to stand up to that because you might want the sheriff's office, which is located in the lower two floors of the courthouse, to actually function after a large earthquake instead of having to maybe be up in a uh, command trailer up at Public Works. <laughs> It'd be a whole lot better to have a functioning sheriff's office, fully functioning sheriff's office. So um, 
just a couple reasons why we need a new courthouse. Beyond that, you know, we knowing, you know, there's been some concern about some buildings and particularly some of the, the university buildings and, and other large buildings that have been built in the area, uh, even some of the private side like Hynix, ended up employing a lot of contractors from out of the area, which was great for the hotels in the area, maybe, but not so great for the local um, labor market and you know the local economy. So one of the things the Board of Commissioners has done is put a community benefits agreement together and impose that upon this project. So this is going to create local jobs. And that's really important. Um, and it's also going to make sure those, you know, we hire local businesses and workers. We're going to make sure they're paid, um, you know, living wages and, and, and prevailing wage, that they're going to have good benefits, provide opportunities for apprenticeship through this, this project. So hopefully we'll be training the workforce of the future. And um, in addition to that, the community benefits calls for use of local materials and environmentally friendly materials, which is going to open the door to using some of the innovative products that are starting to be um, developed here for buildings, such as mass timber, uh, even the, you know, I spoke last week about the, the glue lamb um, beam factory out there in Springfield at Roseboro. That's a pretty innovative product and um, might be utilized in the courthouse because as they look at comparing materials, it's local, it has a lower carbon footprint than steel. We may be using a lot of wood in the courthouse. Um, so that's, that's, you know, local job, local investment. And more than that, um, we're actually able to leverage some matching funds that are being made available by the state that it, they normally do not have to provide. It is the county's responsibility under Oregon law. Every county is supposed to provide a facility for the circuit court. The state provides the staff and the judges, but the county provides the facility. And the state, seeing that a lot of the courthouses were aging and how much trouble counties were having putting the funds together to get some of these, put together a program in 2013 to start doing matching grants uh, from the state for a certain portion that's eligible. And we figured out that the new county courthouse would be eligible for about $94 million in state funding. So we'll be able to leverage that nearly $100 million in state funds that comes from all over, mostly Portland, um, and have those dollars come here and through the community benefits agreement, benefit our local economy. Instead of the usual way things go is we all pay our state income taxes here in Eugene and everything gets built in Portland. Change will actually be able to take some Portland money and have the local economy here benefit. And even more importantly, we put an ordinance in place that says we will not issue the local bonds that we're asking the voters to approve in May until the state has guaranteed their match. So we will not 
spend any money on this project until we know we've secured that matching funds from the state. And we'll be able to leverage that $94 million in state funding for our local economy here in Lane County. So that's really, you know, it, it's, it's going to generate efficiencies in the functions of the courts. And then there's a whole issue around safety and security that I haven't touched on yet, where the existing courthouse doesn't allow for several of the courtrooms. We actually have to walk the inmates accused of crimes through the lobby to get into the courtroom um, where there might their victims might be, where witnesses to their crime might be, where potential jurors might be. And there's the ability for bad things to happen in that sort of situation, um, or even to taint a case and cause a retrial. There's, it's not a good thing. You're, you really want the accused to enter from a side door, go straight to their the table where the defense is, and not have any interaction with those, you know, any of their victims, any of the witnesses, or any of the jurors. The new courthouse will provide that that secure circulation, you know, and provide security for the judges who, you know, in the public areas, um, there may be people that they've made rulings against in the past. So there needs to be three sets of circulation in the courthouse. And our existing courthouse does not do a good job of providing that. So I'm going to take a deep breath here for a moment and remind folks that you're listening to Bo's Nose Show. I'm your host, Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And you can give me a call here and change the topic if you don't want to hear about the Lane County Courthouse, my ducklings, or the, whatever comes into my mind next, because I didn't do a good job preparing for today's show because of my ducklings, um, at 646-721-9887. And press 1 so we know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to you know, talk about what you want to talk about here on the Bo's Nose Show. And remember, you can also listen to us live on KRBN News Talk Radio Facebook page. And uh, you can email us, too, at talk at krbnradio.net. So I did say yesterday was a busy day at, 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 at the uh, commissioners. We got to hear about our two-year um, mental health and addictions uh, implementation plan um, so there's this uh, and it's a it's called the biennial implementation plan or BIP for short I, I tell you governments love acronyms <laughs> but uh, we had our folks from our um, behavioral health department there um, somebody from our um, uh, mental health advisory committee uh, uh, our current chair and our head of our health and human services uh, presented on that. And uh, they're looking to, you know, they identified uh, nine areas of improvement they're trying to work on um, and over the next two years. And it's a plan that's required by state law that we have to report to the, the Oregon Health Authority on as Lane County commissioners sit as the Board of Mental Health for Lane County. And uh, 
Yesterday, we got a, a report on that two-year plan and approved sending it on to the state. And um, it was interesting because got to talk a little bit about some of how that whole issue of mental health and addiction treatment interacts with our homeless issue like we talked about last week on the Bose Nose show with the Seattle is Dying video. And, um, you know, I asked some questions about how we're integrating some of those treatment programs, you know, with the homeless. Uh, so we talked a bit about our frequent user system engagement program that identifies um, homeless people that are high users of, of emergency services and tries to get them um, into uh, housing and connected with those mental health and addiction treatment services. We also talked um, a little bit about the medically assisted uh, treatment that we referred to last uh, radio show also that's featured towards the end of the Seattle is Dying video um, and that there is actually an expansion going to happen to our methadone clinic um, here in, in Lane County uh, and uh, that's going to happen in, in Charlton Street uh, uh, clinic there um, at, at uh, 6th and Charlton or is it 7th and Charlton? 7th and Charlton. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, we're, we're doing some good stuff there. Excuse me. We'd like to be doing more, um, but that's just, uh, you know, there's resource limitations on that. So it, it was kind of a, a good thing to hear about that. And then, of course, we got to talk about the retirement of Lane County Sheriff Byron Trapp, who turned in his retirement papers last Friday, uh, and he is going to be uh, off the job as of noon on April 16th. And Byron has actually been with Lane County Sheriff's Department for 31 years. It's hard to believe because he's a young-looking guy um, that he's been in law enforcement for 31 years, you know, that you're actually eligible for retirement in law enforcement at 25 years because it's so tough on your body. And it's kind of, you know, one of the things uh, that Byron you know, is helping kind of decide is he, he needs to have some work done on his back <laughs> because of all those problems that you end up, you know, when you're wrestling suspects and, and, uh, you, know, you do some things sometimes that, that you get hurt and, and just the whole, you know, sitting in a patrol car, you know, for hours at a time carrying, you know, 15 pounds on your belt, <laughs> all sorts of things that you do as, as, a, as a law enforcement officer, it's hard on your body. My brother-in-law is a uh, police officer in an East Coast city, and he's retiring at a fairly young age, um, much younger than I am. Same thing. I mean, he's got back problems. He's got knee problems, shoulder problems. You know, <laughs> Those guys end up with more on-the-job injuries, uh, and, and it just, it's tough on them. They don't have long careers, and Byron making it through 31 years is pretty amazing. And he has been a really good sheriff for Lane County and, and has done some great things. 
Uh, and one of the great things he's done and, and worked on is the development of leadership from within rank and file of the department and, and helping um, mentor and train. So as you look at who are the captains, lieutenants, and sergeants in Lane County Sheriff's Department, they were all deputy, you know, just plain old deputies at one time for the most part. Almost everyone's homegrown from, you know, a lot of them are Lane County natives, um, but they're professional. You know, he's been you know, very active in, in, in making sure that they're dealing with the best practices uh, in, in law enforcement and folks are trained well. Um, and, you know, he's been really focused on that. And I think it's one of the reasons why Byron feels comfortable retiring. His chief deputy is somebody he's known since he was a, um, oh gosh, what do they call those, the, the kids that are, um, that it's, um, not like an scout. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, where he actually was doing ride alongs at age 16 with Byron when Byron was just a deputy driving a patrol car. And, uh, and that's where, you know, Cliff started was riding along with, with um, Explorer. That's what I'm thinking. You know, um, as an Explorer, he was doing ride alongs with Byron when Byron was just a deputy. So uh, Cliff, um, it, ha it doesn't have 31 years. He's probably, he's not eligible for retirement for about another eight years, but he has been around law enforcement since he was a teenager and, uh, and has come up through the ranks, has been both in the police division of the sheriff's office and the corrections division. So he understands jail operations and the, the police side of things. And uh, Cliff is a really strong candidate to replace him. We still have, we still have, or we're advertising to see if there's anyone else out there right now. It's, it's open um, for folks to submit applications. If you're curious, go to Lane County's website and search for, you know, apply for sheriff and you'll probably find it. Um, but you have to be a resident of Lane County. You have to have the law enforcement credentials from the Oregon Department of uh, public safety and standards there, you know, uh, and testing, TPSST, I can't remember. Yeah, I think that's the Department of Public Safety and Standards Testing, yeah, TPSST, uh, <laughs> another acronym in government. And, uh, you know, if you have those things and, you're, and you've got some good management experience, because people don't realize the Lane County Sheriff's Department is 300 employees with 185 sworn officers. It's one of the largest law enforcement um, departments in the state. I mean, there are a few big, I mean, of course, OSP is bigger. Uh, of course, Multnomah County Sheriff's Department and the uh, Port, City of Portland Police Department. But, you, you know, once you get past those guys, you're, you know, there are a few other, you know, Clackamas County, Washington County, maybe are bigger because, one, they have more money. <laughs> Um, and, and they can hire a lot more people, but um, the 300 person organization, you know, you're going to want somebody with management skills. And, and, and at that, you're also um, an elected department head. So you also have to have public speaking skills. 
um, be able to work with the public. Um, so it takes a special skill set, and Byron had that skill set, and he'll be missed. But I think he's, you know, done a fantastic job of making sure he left behind a professional organization with um, a really good culture right now. And, uh, you know, I'm sad to see Byron go, but he did such a good job. I don't see anything, you know, there's not going to be a hiccup. There's not going to be a big shakeup by, by the you know, change in leadership there. Um, you know, steady as she goes. Only wish that we could give more resources to the sheriff's department so we could bolster the police division. But that's a whole nother conversation. But um, sad to hear about Byron's retirement, understand why, and also understand he's really, you know, the timing of it's about basically that he's set up the organization to function once he moves on. And that's really, as a manager and, and a, you know, CEO, so to speak, of the sheriff's department, that's really what you want to do. You want, when you leave, you don't want things to fall apart. You know, because you're vested in that. I know if I leave Lane County government, I'll always be looking to see if they're they're continuing the success that I hopefully, you know, helped them uh, get to as, as a commissioner. Um, it's funny, I had a meeting today with former Lane County Commissioner Steve Kornakia, um, and he was mentioning that same thing. He said it's really hard, you know, once you go away from it, not to continually pay attention to, you know, whether the organization's doing well or not. And, uh, you know, so so I can see Byron probably going to still be around, might be retired. But my guess is I'll still see Byron, maybe on the, you know, the, the mounted posse. <laughs> uh, but we'll see. Um, so, again, you're listening to the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And this is a show where we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about if you call in and interrupt me at 646-721-9887. Press 1 so we know you want to get on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on the conversation. So we got the, you know, yesterday we set up the process and gave staff direction on, on how we're going to go through the appointment process to replace Byron because um, the next election for sheriff will be in 2020. And uh, so we have to have somebody serve as interim uh, sheriff. And uh, if we don't appoint somebody, it falls to the chief deputy, but they don't have quite the same power as if the board of commissioners as the elected body appoints a replacement. If we appoint them, then they are considered the elected, you know, um, they serve in, in the full capacity of the elected body, and that way um, they can do things like advocate for the courthouse, uh, where, you know, Cliff as chief deputy right now can't because he's being paid a public salary. At least he can't do it when he's being paid his public salary, which is really hard to define, so he, he generally stays away from advocating. So... Um, finished that up, you know, took care of, you know, some, the, the 
biennial plan for mental health and addictions, had some land use issues we dealt with in the afternoon. And then in the evening, we did the curfew for the uh, future courthouse block. And uh, we heard a lot of public testimony because, you know, I um, purposely, uh, when I made the motion to set the public hearing for the curfew on the courthouse block, I knew there was a possibility it could be controversial. And I didn't want folks to say <clears throat> we couldn't come because it was during we held you guys held that public hearing during the day. So I asked the board to hold the meeting for the public hearing in the evening, and I suggested that we also take public comment because we've been asked several times if we could hold evening meetings for public comment. So we did, and we got probably 45 minutes of general public comment. A half hour before a public hearing, and we continued it afterwards. Um, and I would say 80% was asking the county to set up a um, uh, climate action plan and 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 deal with uh, climate change. Uh, about another 15% was about 5G rollout and how we should put a stop to it somehow or another because everybody's going to get cancer from 5G. Um, and then there is a little bit about um, affordable housing and homelessness mixed in there. <clears throat> so um, it was interesting because we had a very colorful uh, set of uh, public comment from the Raging Grannies, which I, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with. It's a group of older, um, what, you know, more, more seasoned and experienced women. <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, uh, that get, you know, that are politically activated and do a lot of protest work and activist work. And um, they, they did a very choreographed uh, group public comment on, on climate. But one of their points was about, you know, listening and being more civil in our interactions. And um, after public comment, the commissioners usually take turns in remonstrance. And uh, yeah, I spoke a bit about uh, some of the work we're doing in, in housing and, and homelessness, because uh, we did have one person talk particularly, uh, who was a former foster um, kid that you know ended up homeless, basically coming you know, as he aged out of the foster system. Um, with his regular public comment, and um, I like a lot uh, Mike McFarland, um, but his his commentary was really poignant. And what was interesting, though, is we gave a grant um, last uh, December. We awarded a grant to uh, Acorn, I believe is the name of the housing development that already uh, houses about um, uh, two dozen young adults that have aged out of the foster system and helps them transition into normal housing and, and adult life. And this will actually add another 20 units to their complex. The, what, the seed money we gave them is part of, you know, kind of that gap funding. So we actually were helping build another 20 units of that targeted housing towards these kids aging out of foster. Um, care 
you know, because as they turn 18, they're no longer eligible for foster care. Um, the foster parents no longer get reimbursed, you know, so quite often sometimes these kids, particularly if they're troublesome kids, can find themselves on the street, which is really sad. And at the same time, Oregon has the worst graduation rate for foster kids in the country. So quite often they're coming out without a high school diploma and uh, really, you know, part of this ACORN facility is it gives them, you know, stable housing, allows them to finish their GEDs, helps them, trains them in some financial literacy, how to balance a checkbook, things like that. So as they get jobs and maybe get moved out into regular housing, they don't fall on their face. Um, really great program. And it's kind of one of those things that's sort of turning the tap off on the upstream end of homelessness. That That's really what you want to do. So I talked a little bit about that. But I also asked the folks, I said, you know, the Raging Grannies make a great point about being civil. You know, I don't necessarily agree that we are in a climate crisis. And the basis for my disagreements based on science, and I have, I have a science background. It's not, you know, I don't think it's a big conspiracy. I just think there's misreading of the science and there's been, um, it's been promoted so much that people are, are you know, scared and all that stuff. But, you know, can you have a civil conversation with me rather than just label me as a denier and tell me the science is settled? And uh, that got, I actually had a couple of people come up to me after the meeting ended and said, well, you know, I'd, be, I'd love to talk to you. One guy is a science teacher, uh, retired, and he wants to talk to me about it because, you know, he, you know, he wants to hear what I think of the science. We had a brief conversation about some of my issues um, around the absorption bandwidth, uh, absorption spectrum, and the particular bandwidth that CO2 absorbs um, and how that conflicts with what water vapor absorbs in the uh, infrared spectrum, as well as, um, you know, various other pieces of um, the issues around how global temperatures are measured, what the real um, trends have been in the last several years versus what's been uh, hyped and um, that's, uh, that's kind of the, um, some of the issues I have. There's also some, some issues about misreading, um, you know, ice core samples, for instance. There's a lot of promotion through Al Gore's infamous, um, you know, movie, <laughs> The Inconvenient Truth where he tries to play out that these ice core sampling shows how when the CO2 goes up, the global temperature goes up, when in actuality the, the correct reading of those ice core samplings is CO2 concentration actually lags temperature increase, where the, 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 if you look back over the, the, the geological record of this planet versus you know a lifetime, that's the other thing I talk to people about is they quite often talk about, well, I've seen changes in my lifetime. Your lifetime's a very short period when it comes to climate. <laughs> and quite often people forget about earlier events um, and, and misconstrue you know, what might be just a decadal pattern in natural uh, 
changes in the Pacific Ocean, which there is a, a actually two decade, what they call dual decadal oscillance in the Pacific Ocean, which drives 20 year cycles in climate on the West Coast. And if you're only 30, you may not have seen the climate beforehand, you know? So, you know, when, when it was cool, I mean, when it, when it was warmer once before and it got cool and now it's getting warm again, you know, and various things like that. Um, but the, the ice core sampling, which is much longer record, which is a better way of looking at things, temperature goes up first, then CO2 concentration in the atmosphere increases later in a lagging effect. And um, that makes sense because it takes longer. I'm sorry about that. Um, as everything's going to ring for me. <laughs> um, so, you know, it makes sense because it takes longer for oceans to warm up than the surface of the planet, where the, that's, you know, what's feeding the ice core temperature uh, is, is atmospheric temperature, because that, that deals with how the snowpack's going and stuff and how they measure that, you know, how they translate those ice cores into surface temperature. It doesn't measure ocean temperature because they're measuring the ice cores from the Antarctic um, continent, not the not not polar ice, you know, over the seas. Um, that um, the oceans take longer to warm up. Well, as water warms up, it holds less dissolved gases. So the CO2 that's actually trapped in the ocean waters will start releasing as the oceans warm up. So as you see in the, the historic uh, record, temperature goes up before CO2 increases. So why does the temperature go up? And what they've been able to, to, to try and match up to that is solar cycles and various other issues um, that cause, um, you know, there's been some volcanic periods and some, some major, you know, like the Yellowstone uh, uh, caldera blast that, you know, put, put, put the place in winter for a while. So that's really. Um, AJ. Yeah. I think you should talk about the cute little ducks that are over your uh, shoulder right now. Oh, you got my ducklings over my shoulder. <laughs> Uh, see, I, I can't see what Robin puts up in video. We learned this last week when I tried to do the Seattle clip, um, which did work. Uh, and I appreciate Robin doing that. So if you're watching Facebook Live right now, and uh, you will see the ducklings over my shoulder that I got today that are really cute. So go ducks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cuteness overload. Love my little ducklings. Uh, love my ducks. Uh, it's pretty fun. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of why I was a little bit unprepared for the Bo's Nose Show. But, you know, I'm one of those kind of people that, that um, if you get me on a subject and wind me up, I can get going, whether it's the courthouse or climate or our sheriff retiring, I can talk about it for a while. Um, never at a loss for words. One of the reasons why I can do the Bo's Nose Show. Yeah, we could also get them talking about uh, what are they thinking things like the Crazy Eights and other yeah. stuff. 
Yeah, I don't have a what, you know, I didn't get a chance to think about what were they thinking um, too much <laughs> this week. Uh, I'm sure there's something, whether it's the uh, the state legislature, you know, and the, the 16-year-old voters. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I put up a fairly popular post about a week ago about teen brains. If anyone missed that, that's also on the uh, Caribbean Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page um, that got rather wide circulation and shared quite a bit. <laughs> What's the minimum age you can um, be in the Oregon legislature? I don't know. I, I'm guessing 25, but I don't know what the actual requirement is for the House and maybe 35 for the Senate. But I, I don't know if there is an age limit. Maybe the because the argument about uh, for lowering the age of the voting, you know, I can't remember who it was. It was Pelosi or somebody that said because they're more in the politics. Let's lower the age uh, for the legislator to 16. Mm, let's not say we did. <laughs> Point of my post was the part of the brain that that deals with rational thinking and understanding long-term consequences for decisions is the last part of your brain that develops. And your brain doesn't complete that development until about age 25. It varies a little bit from person to person. In fact, there's some scientists that argue your brain develops all the way through to age 30. But that that prefrontal cortex uh, lobe that, that has that, that rational thought in a 16-year-old is undeveloped. And they actually process their thinking through a portion of their brain tied to emotion. So they don't think, they feel. They make the decisions based on how they feel and how it will make them feel. That's why when you ask a teenager the question after they've done something, you know, that you thought was a little bit unthoughtful, what were you thinking? They always give you the kind of blank stare. And, and I don't know what I was thinking because they weren't. They were purely on 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 emotional decision pattern. They, they weren't thinking. Now, by the time you're 21, you're partially developed there and you've got some rational capability for thought. Um, that's why I can justify things like tobacco 21. Because at that point, you've got some decision making. In fact, you know, really want to stir things up. I've actually proposed raising the draft age and serving in the military at 21 um, because I think it'd be a whole lot, you know, we'd have a whole lot less war in this world if you had to convince somebody that's 21 to volunteer to fight in that war versus an 18 year old. <laughs> you mean like a rational person to, uh, you want me to do what? Yeah. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, in our all-volunteer military, can you imagine if we had to convince 21-year-olds to serve and, and go off to whatever the, the crisis du jour is? Um, I think we would have probably not such a large military, and it would be a military a little bit less willing to go just anywhere you told them to go. Well, we're about out of time here on the Bose Nose Show. I Hope you enjoyed the show. We kind of covered a lot of topics today, even though I'm completely unprepared for the show today, as is witnessed as I need to go back out and finish getting the pen ready for those cute little ducklings. They're so cute. Um, 
I hope you have a great week. We'll be back next week on the Bo's Nose Show, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.